of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verses 9 to 12, talking this morning about a life of quiet love, brotherly love. Hear then the Word of God. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do this more and more. And aspire to live quietly. To mind your own affairs. To work with your hands as we instructed you. So that you may live properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. The Word of our Lord. Pray with me. Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Word that is living and true. Father, we would have it live in us today. We would have You write it afresh on our hearts. That You would help us to love each other more and more in visible and practical ways. For we ask it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. He says that they have been taught by God in verse 9. He opens up and he says, you guys have been taught by God to love one another. This is the context of the church. When he says one another, he means you guys that are together reading this. The church. You, God has taught you, church, to love one another. He uses two words in this text as he starts now concerning brotherly love. Most of you know that's the word Philadelphia. Uh, right? The city of brotherly love. It is simply the Greek word phileo, delphia. Uh, <clears throat> the love between siblings, brothers and sisters. A familial love. A family love. He says concerning this family love, I don't have to write to you. You've been taught by God to agape one another. Already, He's already teaching you to love with that unconditional love that God has for us in Christ. And he goes on as he describes this, he calls us to live productive and quiet lives of brotherly love in community as a church. And that this is part of our witness before the watching world. This kind of love that he's talking about is not something you encounter every day. It's newsworthy, which is why it is being reported back to Paul from from Timothy in particular, who's gone and and brought back a report. They were worried about them. They had come to Christ. The church has been founded. They're worried about them. And when Timothy brings a report of how they're doing, he reports not only about their faith. You know, they're standing firm in the faith. They haven't lost their faith. You know, that the persecution they're suffering hasn't driven them from their belief. They haven't turned back. But in every place that he says that we've not only are they standing firm in their faith, but they stand firm in love for one another. This is about the fourth or fifth time in the letter that he has reported very specifically about their, the community, the love of the community. The way they care for each other. <clears throat> in chapter 3, verse 6, he says, Timothy has come to us from you and he's brought us the good news of your faith and your love. <laughs> your faith and your love. 
In chapter 1, verse 3, he opened it up talking about their faith and their labor of love. Their hard-working love for each other. It's visible and it's obvious to all. What I want you to hear me saying this morning is pretty much exactly what Paul is saying to the church in Thessalonica. Because I believe it is as true here, perhaps, as it was there. Because he starts out saying, concerning this brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. And in many ways, you, Hicks and Prez, you have no reason, in a sense, for me to preach it to you. You might be thinking, then you ought to skip this part. But I'm not going to. Why? Because he says, I want to urge you, even though you have no need for anyone to write to you, at the end of verse 10, he says, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And so that's my purpose this morning, and I hope that you will hear it. Because you guys have been taught by God. And if you've hung around here for any length of time, the love of God, the brotherly Philadelphia agape love is visible and present and manifest in the midst of this church. But as Paul says it, and I think again and again, we need to do it more and more. Verse th- chapter 3, verse 12, he prays, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. Brotherly love. Agape love for one another. And so this is at the very core of what it means to be a Christian. Faith and love. Starting with for one another. It is the chief marks of the followers of Jesus Christ. And he says that He wants it to abound more and more inside and out. Why? Because visible love is both an assurance to you and a witness to the world. And one of the ways that we often, if we struggle with our faith and wonder, there are different things of Scripture that God points to to say, this is one of the marks of those who know Me. And so this visible love for the brothers. Christ bought this church with His blood. Right? It is His chosen people. And He loves His church. It says Christ loved His church. And so He gave Himself up for her. And one of the chief marks and to know that we know Him is that we love His blood-bought bride, His body as much as He does. I know you're a messy crew. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not under any delusions. And I'm part of your mess. And I appreciate you allowing me to hang out with you. So it's not, it's not that it's not a work in progress. It's not that, that, that it's not a messy thing. But it's His thing. And He owns us. You've been bought with a price. And He loves us. And so this, it is part of our own assurance to know that I love His bride like He does. That we love the church. The Scripture says it over and over again. 1 John 13.35 is part of our witness to a watching world. Even as it assures us, it witnesses to the world. It's by this that the world will know. What, Paul? By what? Because you talk a lot and you tell them the right things? I'm not saying we don't speak our faith, but it's this. By this they will know if you love each other. It's this each other thing. It comes again and again, each other, each other. The way you, the quality of your love for each other. 
It's one of the ways that we know that we know and love Him. And it's one of the ways that the world knows and looks on that knows that we know and love Him. 1 Peter 1.22 is Paul, as Peter is writing uh, about their reception of the Gospel and, and, its, and its effect on their lives. He says, you've purified your souls. By obedience to the truth, by obeying the gospel, by when he says repent and believe, and you did, you, you obeyed the truth, and he says, and it for what purpose? What is it, what does it create? What is its results that you've purified your souls through this accepting of Christ for a sincere? And I love the way he puts adjectives. He never just says for brotherly love. It's a sincere. That's the hard part, isn't it? <laughs> no, no, you get it. No, it's got to really sincere love for each other. Earnest from a pure heart. What does it look like? How does it manifest itself and make itself visible in practical and concrete ways? Because it is something you can see. He says it is part of our witness. It's how the world will know because they, mo- they will taste and see it. They will experience it. It's something, it is something concrete and visible because love is, is, it is a feeling. It is something going on in here, but it's more than that. It becomes visible in the midst of the community such that you can witness, experience it, report, and describe it to other people. They will know we are Christians by our love for each other. They... The goal would be this, that people would be compelled to say, see how they love one another. See how they love one another. Brothers, I want to urge us to do this more and more as a witness to our own souls and to the world that we know Him. Want us to grow in our ability. So what are the acts of love? As he talks about this brotherly love, he, he expands it out in many other places in his letters to various churches. Let me just hit on four of the practical, visible, concrete ways that we love one another. And, uh, and put those, there are many more. I'm not, it's not all of them, but it's four that I want to put on the table today. Some of the many faces of love. Number one, love is expressed and made visible as we use our gifts and talents in the life of the church. Now, you may or may not have thought about that as love. An expression of your love. The Bible speaks of it that way. It's a very practical form of love. It's like a family when somebody stays in the kitchen and is doing the dishes well, so that everyone else is in the living room chatting and fellowshipping. And an experiencing relationship in the home. There are a thousand ways that that service in Ephesians 4.16, he says this, you know, from whom? From Jesus, whom the whole body is joined and held together, every joint and part with which it is equipped. And when each part is working properly, using its gift, each part is doing its part, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's a labor of love and toward love. Right? When each part does its part, grows, serve for the common good, when you see the body rise up and manifest love in practical, concrete ways. Like, there's only one back there now. I was going to say the two guys in the sound booth who are there every morning, who are there early setting up and getting the microphones and sound checking, who are there every week so that it's like the person in the kitchen doing the dishes, so the rest of us 
you know, can enjoy the benefits of it, can be led in worship, or the musicians who are up here this morning who were, I think they're the first ones in the building in the morning because they come and they practice what they're going to do so that they can lead us well and that they can be familiar. It's a labor of love. They, they love they love us and they serve us. They manifest it in, in doing that, sacrificing and coming. You know, the people who came this morning and taught some of our children in Sunday school who prepared during the week and who came early and who spent time with your children to teach them. That is manifest love. Our elders who labor behind the scenes in ways that drain emotionally and spiritually the weight that they bear, the things that you have no idea that they do. And sometimes maybe it seems like smoke and mirrors what's going on. But I can tell you now, they pour out blood, sweat, and tears in service to the life of this church. You know, our deacons who labor behind the scenes, who, who meet and plot on how to meet the needs of the church and to make sure that, that things happen the way they need to happen so that you can show up and worship and have needs being met. And the list goes on. The small group leaders who prepare their studies. Uh, Mary, who's worked in the library over decades, having it available for all of us. Eunice, who, who has been doing the flowers here, I believe it's over 25 years. She's been doing the flowers here week after week after week so that it's beautiful. The Easter lilies that are here, that won't be here this year. The people who prepare and plan the dinners and who show up and cook for days so that you can come and eat it in fellowship. Love is expressed when we use our gifts and serve in the life of the church. Manifest visible. See how they love. Love is expressed and made visible, secondly, in community through acts of sacrificial service and giving. And for me, this is a step beyond. This is is the personal meeting of each other's needs. You know, beyond the general service in the life of the community, as 1 John 3 says it, if anyone has the world's good and he sees his brother in need, and yet he closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide there? No, this is it. Little children, brothers, sisters, let's not love in word and talk. Let me show you and manifest my love for you in deed and in truth. Let us show our love by doing the deeds of love, meeting needs. You know, it's, it always blesses my heart when somebody says, I'm moving and I need help, and you show up and there's a half a dozen guys there carrying boxes and moving piano. I think the last one we moved a piano and a washer and a dryer. And, you know, but they, they show up and they're there. That's what brothers and sisters do. If my sister called me and said, I'm moving, bro, you're going to be there. I'm like, yeah, I'm there. When the, good, the, the, the email blast comes out for meals, somebody's in the hospital, somebody is sick, somebody's had a baby, somebody's had surgery, you know, one of the manifest ways is to provide meals for their family when they're going through that kind of a time. And to see those things fill up and, and know that people are delivering meals to the door of those who are in need in the life of the church. The Good Samaritan offering every... every some of you may not even know, so this is also a public service announcement. That on, the, on the weeks that we take communion, we also encourage everyone to give a Good Samaritan offering. You know, to, to put something extra or something different and write the amount, you know, write one check, but the amount you want for Good Samaritan, the memo line, so we know it goes there. There's a fund. We've had people in our work who, <clears throat> in, our, in our congregation who have been out of work 
and still have to pay mortgages while they look and they do things in different ways that the church is there to meet those needs practically helping them ex- extraordinary medical expenses that we've helped try to pay for people to get them out from under. And so there are very manifest ways that we love people through sacrificial, sacrificial service and giving. Love is expressed and made visible in the way that we simply treat each other. Right? In the quality of our communal life. The way that we are in relationship. The, there's so much in the way that Paul writes to the church and that he says about this that it's almost too much. And it's almost like pick up any letter of the New Testament and read it and he will tell you about the quality of the communal life that God calls us to experience and to express to each other. Ephesians 4.2 says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another. Love puts up with people. Right? Especially in the church. I mean, I know, I understand out in the world where our patience reaches an end. And, you know, how many times? Seven? You know, and, and out in the world, that's it. There's a cutoff where we, we don't put up with people. You know, and their personalities or their quirks or their failures or their weaknesses or their, you know, just all the things that we have. But in the church, it's, it's different. Right? There's a manifest supernatural grace of the Holy Spirit that enables us to bear with one another in love. Right? And he says, and we don't just bear with each other like, you know, i got to put up with them, you know, this time. You know, he says, no, what does he say? In humility, not considering yourself better than others, thinking more of yourself than you should. It's not just putting up with people. It's in all humility, in gentleness, in patience. In other words, as we read a moment ago from Peter, you know, in sincerity, out of a, earnestly and out of a pure heart that we love one another this way. We put up with each other. I need you to put up with me time and again. 1 Corinthians 13, you know it well. So you know it so well, you stop hearing it. I stop hearing it. It's like something you drive past on your way to work every day. You, you stop seeing it. But love is patient. When you're in that meeting with other people and their opinion is different than yours, you know, when, you're, when you think it ought to go this way or you want it to go that way or when whatever it is, the ways that we bump up against each other, love, the first thing that love is, is patient. Slow to anger. Slow to speak. Slow to force its own way. Slow to be full of itself. It's patient. And it's kind. It doesn't envy or boast. You know, it doesn't look up and envy at other people. And it doesn't look down boasting over other people. It's not arrogant. And it's not rude. And it's not insisting on its own way. It loves to serve others and to let others get their way. It's their church too. Right? We're bigger, it's bigger than any of us. Or any small group of us. And for us to get our own way is to stop loving others and to start loving ourselves. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. Love is expressed in the way that we treat each other. The quality of our life together. So it is expressed in in using our gifts in each other, in, in giving and in service toward each other, in the way that we treat each other. And finally, it is made visible and expressed in the way that we live out the Gospel. To live out the Gospel really marks our community as blood-bought. The Gospel that saves us. 
It's the Gospel that we don't leave at the door, but it's the one we live out in our relationships. And Sometimes there is a disconnect between the Gospel we believe and we love that it saves us, and we just don't let it save each other. That somehow there's a misconnect, but it should save, like it should save us from each other in many ways. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about this, like living it out in a community of radical grace. Matthew 18, 15, you know, that first step in the life of community where Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go to him. Radical grace. I'm not going to stew. I'm not going to tell other people. I can't tell me how many, how many times where it's, you know, people tell you of an offense, but it's not theirs. It's somebody else's. And, and it goes around this circle. And he says, he says, go tell him and keep it between you and him alone. Right? If you have something against somebody, there's one person besides the Lord Himself that you should tell. That Jesus commands you to tell. Why? He says, because if He listens to you, if you can be heard, if you can work this out, you've gained your brother. Your brother, this is brotherly love. You've won the day. You've healed the body. It never went anywhere. It never stirred anything. It didn't create discontent or pain or division. It, 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 it is the Gospel that when I know I have offended the Lord, I go to Him and seek His mercy. To live this out with each other. And this means approaching and being approachable, right? It means approaching. He tells you to go to them. <clears throat> a lot of us won't do this. We say it's uncomfortable. Jesus didn't say, if you feel comfortable with it, would you consider? Maybe. You know, He doesn't say that. I hear people say, oh, I won't do any good. Really? <laughs> How do you know? You know, I, I have literally pled with people at times, give me the opportunity to repent. Please. Please. Come to me and tell me. Please, give me the chance. Don't, don't. It, it won't do any good. My friends, Jesus doesn't say, oh, if you think it'll do any good, think about going to Him. <laughs> no, He says, Jesus says, if it happens, go. This is how it's done. Live in the Gospel with each other. Repenting and giving the opportunity to repent. Approaching and being approachable. The other side of this is what I just said and where I believe we must be. Approachable. So that if you do come to me, and tell me, brother, you have offended. That I don't get defensive. And I don't shut you down or get angry or start... <clears throat> but that I hear you. May the first words out of my mouth be, thank you for telling me. Approaching and approachable. So that we can heal the body. Living the Gospel with each other. Colossians 3, 12 and 13. He's talking about as God's chosen one, putting on love, humility, and meekness, and patience. Again, seems to be a theme in the Scripture and the church. Bear with each other. Put up with each other's nonsense. Right? And if you have a complaint, any complaint, you got a complaint, I know what you can do with it. Forgive each other. Why? Why should I forgive? I'm mad. I'm hurt. I'm betrayed. I'm not listened to. I'm mocked out. I'm this. I'm that. Whatever it is. Why should I forgive? Because the Lord has forgiven you. So you must. You must. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will see mercy. We must forgive. We must live the Gospel. The Gospel that saves us. The Gospel through which we are forgiven must be the power within us to forgive each other. To forgive real offenses. Real offenses. And we must forgive. Even as I plead with my Father today that He will still forgive me for my real offenses today. Oh, that we would live out the Gospel. 1 Peter 4.8 Peter writes and he says, above all things, keep loving. A theme. I mean, you can't see how often the Bible says there's nothing more important, no greater mark of God's blood-bought people than this, to keep loving one another earnestly. And love covers a multitude of sins. I love that verse. I say it all the time. You've probably heard me say it. Love covers a multitude of sins. What does that mean? Love overlooks a lot. A junk. It overlooks a lot. It doesn't have to be exacting. It doesn't have to get its pound of flesh on everything. It doesn't have to correct everything. It doesn't have to hold you to task for everything. It covers a multitude of things. I can put up with it. You can put, if you can put up with me, I will put up with you. Right? Love covers a multitude of sins. And where it doesn't, it says Go. And make it right. The Gospel saves us. It saves us as a community. Brothers, if anyone is caught, Galatians 6, in a transgression, go to him. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. We don't shoot our wounded. We come alongside of them. Are you struggling? Are you broken? Have you fallen? Are you, where are you? You who are spiritual, go alongside. Gentle, loving, and restore. Apply the Gospel in the life of someone who desperately needs a friend. We love each other very practical and manifest ways so the community could look and say, see how they love each other. How they put up with each other. How they forgive each other. How they're so patient with each other. How they sacrificially serve and give. And how they, they're all working in the life and using their gifts in the life of the church. See it. See it. Taste and see the goodness of God in the life of His people. And then interestingly, he adds as he's talking about the ways we manifest love, and I believe this is part of it. It's it's in, in a sense on the same sentence. Do this thing more and more and aspire to live quietly and to mind your own business and to work with your hands. To live this kind of a life in the midst of His people. Quietly, not given to strife and division. Quietly, not criticizing and complaining. You know, what does a quiet life look like? It's that person who minds, in the next verse, minds his own business. And does his part. Works with his hands. Does his own part. Isn't looking at the guy to the left and to the right and, and, and stirring it up. Having to know everybody else's business. Working with our hands as far as we are able. And I understand there are times when, as we say, that everybody goes through it, there are times that we do benefit from the generous sacrificial giving of the, the congregation. There are times that we have to be takers, receivers of God's grace manifest through His community. But He says what you ought to be working towards is being on the other end of that. What you ought to be working towards is striving towards, aspiring towards, is to be 
to work with your hands so that in the life of the community you will not you will not always be on the receiving end, but you will be on the giving end. He says it this way when he says it in Ephesians 4.28. He said, let the thief steal no longer. Not that anybody was stealing, but his idea, what he goes after that, instead of being a taker, whatever that looks like, he says, rather let him labor, let him work, doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he can become a giver. Something to share. He now has some margin to give away. So there is this, this is the life of the community where we are purposely laboring to a quiet life of work, hard work and labor to be givers, minding our own business. And we say, well, if we live like this, quiet lives, minding our own business, shouldn't, what does that mean for my sharing the gospel with my neighbors and in the community? What does that mean for speaking up for Jesus to share my faith with people? Should I good, you know, should we be doing that if I should be living a quiet life? And I would say, absolutely. Absolutely, you should share your faith in every opportunity that God gives. Where you live, work, and play, you should speak up in the name of Jesus. What Paul is saying here is not that we should be quiet and not speak and share our faith. The Scripture is clear elsewhere that that is what we're doing. But what he is saying is this. The foundation of our witness is the life that he's talking about. What gives credence to our witness. What gives a a hearing to our witness is the way we are in the world. As Greg preached it last week, the life leading into this, the life of purity. right? A life of purity that is sacrificial and selfless and serving and working full of patience and kindness and forgiveness. This life is the foundation of a credible witness to the world where when we speak the Gospel, that they should be ashamed who would slander us back. Father, fellow brothers and sisters, let me close with the idea that this is a, a beautiful and powerful picture. And there are two things I would say about it. One, as Paul writes these things to the church, at the same time, in every, almost every letter, if not every letter, he's at the same time correcting the relational problems in the church. Which is one of the reasons he keeps saying, you know, I see us living it out. I see it manifest. But we need to do it more and more. God is love. Right? And our witness to the world is going to have to do with the quality of the love that we, that we share and express and manifest. And so it doesn't mean we're a perfect community that we're, one, striving to do it more and more, but the second thing to know is that we strive to do it by the grace of God that is in us. In other words, that the love that God calls forth from us is the love that He pours out in us. You and I don't have that kind of patience. Or at least, I don't. What, he, what, what is described here is a supernatural work of God. The fruit of the Spirit Peace, patience, kindness, right? All those things that we're calling for. These are the fruit of His Spirit. And so He calls forth out of us what He is pouring into us. Romans 5.5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He has given to us. I can love. Not in my own strength. I love where Paul says, I quote it to myself all the time. He says, we are to labor with all the strength that God provides. 
Because when I labor in my own strength, when I labor out of my flesh, I grow weary. I sometimes can grow bitter. I can grow a lot of things. But when we labor, when we work, when we love with all the strength that He provides, when we learn what it is to abide in Him, we will bear much fruit, the first of which is love. Right? So he will, what He calls forth from us is that very thing which He pours into us, which we experience from Him day by day that He has loved us with an everlasting love. He has loved us before the foundations of the world. He has begun a good work in us and poured it out. And He day by day is doing all of these things for us. And here we find the grace to start over again. Bearing with one another. Forgiving one another. Pressing on with one another. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. We know we have passed from death into life because of the love that is manifest in our midst. Brothers and sisters, let us love more and more. Let the community in which we live and in which, into which we're moving, let them see and say, see how they love each other. See how they love each other. May they see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Pray with me. Father, we thank You that You have loved us so well. We thank You that You have set Your love on us in Christ. That You have bought us with His blood. Oh, what manner of love is this that we should be called the children of God and yet that is what we are. Father, we would live like Your children, full of the love You have poured out. Love for the brothers and sisters that You have put into our lives. Not because they're perfect, but that as iron sharpens iron, we might sharpen each other and grow in this grace and be useful to our King in whose name we pray. Amen.